Good afternoon. I'm trying to see where Philippians is. Philippians comes after Ephesians, I believe, and before Colossians, right? All right. Philippians is one book which, uh, <clears throat> which I have, you know, which, which fell uh, to me because this was one book which I had the privilege and opportunity to translate the entire book from the original language to English during my seminary days. So this was one of the books which I had to translate to get my credits. <laughs> So it's a, it's a book which has, uh, you know, spoken to me and it has, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's a joyful book. It is not very depressing. Uh, it actually is a very encouraging book. And Paul uh, uh, is writing to a group of people whom he is, uh, whom he dearly loves because these were the people who supported him and were with him through thick and thin, as you would say. Uh, they supported him financially, they supported him with people, they supported him emotionally, mentally, and in every way. And so for Paul, the people in Philippi were a special bunch of people. They really loved him, and, and Paul loved them in return. And uh, there was a special bond. And so he's writing this uh, letter to the people in Philippi, I am not interested in going into the background and other things. It's one of the prison letters. He is in prison and he's writing these things. And so what I want to share this morning is basically to remind us of a few things. These are nothing new and if you hear me preach anything new, uh, stone me to death. <laughs> because uh, uh, there is nothing new. that uh, I haven't got any new revelation. Okay. So uh, that is what I share is from the 66 books. So what I want to share this morning is what, just a few reminders, just a few uh, pointers as to how we ought to live our lives in the light of the fact that God knows us and God, we belong to God. <clears throat> Now, Philippians chapter 2, if I was to give it a title, which I usually refrain from, uh, because I would like, you know, the moment you title a sermon, it, it's put in a box. So that's one of the reasons why I don't give a title to a sermon. Uh, I would like it to flow, the word to do its work. And that's why I sometimes don't even give an application. Because the word, as we heard, as, you know, it has... You know, when, when you encounter the Word of God through the Spirit of God, it has, it's, it's live. It has the capacity to, to speak into your life like I cannot. Okay? So, that, those are some of the reasons why I, you know, sometimes refrain from giving a title or giving an application. Because the Word of God indeed is powerful. So, I would like to read... Um, from verse 12 on, but prior, okay, I'll read from verse 12, chapter 2 of Philippians. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Sorry, chapter 1. 
chapter 1 and verse 12. I'm sorry. I'm, re- I'm, I'm thinking, what am I reading? It doesn't sound right. Okay, chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that includes sisters too, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold or confident to speak the word without fear. But as usual, some indeed preach Christ from envy and you know, rivalry, but others from goodwill. They later do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaims Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We will look at the following verses a bit later. May God uh, open his word to us this morning, and I pray the Spirit will teach our spirit and, you know, transform our lives to become a bit more like Jesus this morning, this afternoon. Now, what Paul is saying is that the gospel overrides everything. The gospel overrides everything. If there is one thing for Paul which matters in terms of life and death, even life and death are subordinate to the gospel. We will see that. Even life and death are subordinate to this gospel. And what is this gospel? We can have a sermon on that. Maybe I will do it one of these days. The gospel is the wonderful news that God became man and uh, he died, he lived, he died on our behalf of, of his people and he rose again on the third day and therefore whoever will put their trust in him, whoever confesses him as Lord and Savior in their life can be assured of this one thing that they have his life and in having his life you can be assured that you will be where he is and this is an offer of grace. You receive it by faith and it is offered you in grace. You don't do anything to attain it. You don't do anything. You don't have to do anything. We looked at the last time I spoke. You don't have to do anything to find God's favor. If you are found in him, you're found in him. Okay? That's, we had, we had looked at it the last time. Now Paul is saying here that the gospel overrides everything in his life. So in verse 12, it starts, I want you to know dear people, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The issue that I want to bring here is, what Paul is actually trying to say is, whatever the circumstances in my life, it has helped further the gospel. If you read Paul's life, you will see that, that whatever situation he finds himself in, shipwrecked, beaten up, you know, stoned to death, whatever it is, he can confidently say one thing, that it has advanced the gospel. And so it is no different for him here when he is in prison to say that what has happened to me has advanced the gospel. 
So what Paul's imprisonment, instead of hindering the gospel, has led to its free flow. The gospel made considerable and unexpected progress. And that's what we read in verses 13 and 14. The effect of his imprisonment on the gospel proclamation, on the advancement of the gospel, is not only seen within the church, but it is also seen outside. Now we see that in verse 13, the guards in the imperial palace have come to know one thing. What is it? You know that Paul guy? Who is tied between two uh, soldiers. You know why he is there? It's because of somebody called Jesus. It is because somebody called Jesus. It's because of the gospel. They may not have understood it. They may not have grasped it. But they know that he is in prison. Not because he killed someone. Or not because he did something evil or wicked. Which he deserves to be in prison. But that this guy is a strange guy. He is there because of the gospel. And then there are others within the church who are impacted by it. They become more bold. Now their convictions, they are acting on their convictions. They they have the daring to say this conviction is worth living and dying for. Why? Because they see an example in Paul. Paul says, whether in prison or outside of it, something which matters for me, which is far above life and death for me, is the advancement of the gospel. Things of which they were already convinced, they have now continued to dare. They act with more boldness on their conviction. Paul is an example that their convictions are worth living and dying for. Paul here is not talking of his imprisonment. That is one thing I want you to note. It is but the effects of his circumstances. He is not dwelling on what has befallen him, but how it has worked to further the one thing that matters most to him. See, some, when something happens to us, you know, we tend to dwell on the thing that has happened to us rather than seeing how this thing can be used to further the gospel. You know, it's very interesting. I find myself in a very difficult time in my life and I want to be honest with that. Extremely difficult. I have never been in a situation like that. I have issues everywhere that I turn to means it is not just because of something I've done or not done, but it is just like I have been attacked from all possible sources. And when I study these things, you know, one of the things that I'm asking God is, what is it that you want to bring about through the situation that is I'm going through? Because I don't want to dwell on the situation that I am in. I am trying hard Not to fall in the trap of feeling, you know, wallowing in self-pity and trying to seek sympathy from people. But I want to see how these situations that has come in my life, which even my friends and colleagues will say, Jason, that is not, what is happening is not fair with you. I want to see how those things can bear something, some fruit for the God whom I love. You know, that is, the, that is the normal tendency that we have. Something bad happens to us, we dwell on it, rather than rise above it and see how that can be used to further the gospel. You know, what Paul is doing here is he's trying to find fortunes in the midst of misfortunes. Man has his wickedness, but God has his way. But as always, there are two groups of people, always, that is, that is, that there, there is no exception to it. 
Paul finds him in prison. Some say he deserves it. He should stay there as long as possible. Some others feel confident and say, well, look at Paul. He's in prison, but still the gospel is advancing. Now we are going to take the baton or we are going to take up what he has left behind and we are going to go ahead and preach the gospel. But some are preaching the gospel. He is not questioning the genuineness of the gospel here. He is talking about the matters of the heart. He is talking about the motives and the perspectives that these people have. Some are preaching the gospel because they genuinely love Paul. And they want to do what is possible to carry on the heart and the life and you know what mattered for Paul. They wanted to carry it forward. There are some others who are doing it just to spite him. Just to inflict more pain on him. We do not know the exact circumstances or the exact issues. You know, there's a bit of ambiguity there, but we just leave it at that. And what Paul is saying is, in the midst of all this, what Paul is saying is, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter why the gospel is being preached. Why? The gospel has been preached. Their message was good, but their temper was bad. One group carried it on in the energy of the flesh, motivated by greed, strife, pride, and envy. The other group did it out of love for Paul and out of their knowledge that Paul was in prison for the sake of the gospel. It was not for their self-display or for the advancement of a religious sect or for the defeat of another Christian. You know, oftentimes we have to be very, very careful in our ministry. That we don't do things to destroy another brother or a sister. We are quite capable of doing that. We may be doing, we may be preaching the, the right gospel. We may be doing everything good and right. But we should be very careful that it is not used in any way to inflict pain or destroy another person. Or another person's ministry. But Paul says, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever they're doing, they're doing it out of genuine love for me or they're trying to spite me or hurt me by what they do. I rejoice in one fact. You know what it is? The gospel has been proclaimed. See, that is a matter of focus. You know, I, I have to often ask myself this question and it would be a good question for you to keep at the front of your mind even as you do the things in your life is... Are the things that I'm doing or is the thing that I'm doing helping me further the gospel of Jesus Christ? Just ask that question. You may be working in a bank or you may be working as a teacher or I may be working for the government or you may be having your own business. Just ask this question. Or you may be helping people with their plane tickets. Whatever it is. We need to ask that question every time. It's better if we wrote it down on a plaque or on a piece of paper and kept one in our pocket, one in our wallets, and one somewhere we can read it all the time to say, what I am doing currently at this moment in time, is it advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? If it is not, then you need to do some reevaluation. Then you, need to, then you need to do some, if there is need changes to be done, you need to do the changes and ask God for the courage to do that. 
You cannot do it on your own strength. You will fail. But ask God to help you to do that. Always keep that one thing in mind. I am the things that I am doing. Am I doing the things that I am doing? In you know, is it furthering the gospel or is it hindering the gospel or it has no impact on the gospel? For Paul, there was one thing about him. Whatever he did, the gospel had priority. Basically, what he is talking about here is the priority of the gospel. In life, in death, in anything that he did, in imprisonment, as a free person, as a Roman, and as a person under the law, as a person without the law, as a free man, whatever it is, for Paul, it was that the gospel should advance. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, right? How many of us truly believe that? If that be the case, then we need to align our lives in such a way that everything that we do, everything that we say, everything, all the purposes and actions that we are committed to, it should in some way or the other lead to the advancement of the gospel. To the fact that to the glory of God. That is what the Westminster Catechism is all about. Man's or human's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. And the gospel is the glory of God. It shows forth who He is. It shows forth His heart. The glory of God is in a way the characteristic of God evident in the works of God. In salvation, in creation, in all of those things. And that is how we are called to live. That is our purpose, to show forth the glory of God. And as Christians, we do it in the sharing of the gospel. You know, verses 19 to 20, let me just read further. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I'll not be, not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, that, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, only let your life be worthy of a citizen. You know, means uh, the, the rendering there could be rendered as be a citizen worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So let's, let's look at what Paul is trying to say from verses 19 on. <coughs> Paul is confident of one thing in these verses. What is that? That Christ will be exalted in his life or death. That will be his vindication. God will vindicate him. Whatever people have to say, however people may look at him, whatever people, however people may have written him off or you know, glow, put him on a pedestal, whatever it is, at the end of the day, 
Paul is assured of one thing, that Christ will be exalted in his life, either in death or in life. And now the, the amazing thing about this vindication, the vindication is going to come through the prayer of a feeble band of believers and by the Spirit's empowerment for proclamation. And that's what we read in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers, that is the believers in Philippi, and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. See, that is something which strikes me. Whatever the situation in my life, it will turn out for my deliverance. Deliverance to what is a question. Whatever, wherever you find yourself in at this point in life, Paul says, through your prayers and through the work of the Spirit, in and through me, it will work out for my good. It will work out for my deliverance. It will work out to Christ being exalted in and through me. See, that is what we read. Uh, if you read chapter 1, the earlier verses, it says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can be sure of that one thing. That he who has begun a good work in us will see it to completion. We don't have to really be worried, will I lose my salvation or will, I, will my salvation be secure? Those are not the questions that Paul is interested in. What Paul is simply saying that if God has started a work in you, he is able to see it to completion. And you can be rest assured that whatever situation that you find yourself in, God will work it out in such a way that it will be for your deliverance. In the, in the sense that it will bring forth something beautiful for God. And in so happening, it will bless your life. Let me just go on. The question that I ask myself is, do I share in this confidence? Verse 19 and 20, if you are faithful in our service to God, our lives will be vindicated in the court of heaven. Whatever the outcome in this world. Paul is saying that it is worth living and dying for Jesus Christ. And he has shown it through his life. Now verse 21 is a very intense statement. It's a personally intense statement about his experience and testimony. What Paul is saying is, Paul's life has no meaning without Christ. Christ alone is his object, his motivation, his inspiration and the goal of all things. For him, dying is a personal gain of knowing Jesus more intimately. An ultimate kind of witnessing. Even the issues of death and living are subordinated to the preaching of the gospel. But interestingly, we today live in a world where we are encouraged to have an open mind on all things. You know, like G.K. Chesterton, I really love him and I have tried reading, I have not completed, but I have tried reading his book, you know, Orthodoxy and other things, other books written by him, but he is brilliant. He was, he was a prophet ahead of his time. And I love his quotes because his insight is so amazing. And this is what he had to say about having an open mind. Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind is like opening one's mouth. Okay? As of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. 
you don't open your mouth and you shut it again just for the sake of opening and shutting. You open your mouth to shut it on something solid. It's all very good to have an open mind. But the open mind is so that you can get something substantial and solid. And I pray by the grace of God, it will be that God will work in your life to a point where you and I will realize that there is nothing worth living and dying for in this world other than for the cause of Christ. Paul had an open mind. But he shut it on something solid by the grace of God. And that is the fact, that is what we read in verse 21. For me to die, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For him, everything else sinks into insignificance. In the light of the fact that if God be, if it's life, if his living and dying is not for the cause of Christ, it has no significance, no meaning for this man called Paul. And so my prayer is that in my life too, that will consume me. That will, that will in a way, you know, if it means... If it means extinguishing me, I would be happy doing that. That is what Paul is saying. He, if you read his letters towards the end, he says, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Basically, all the sacrifices are done. Drink offering is the final little oil that you pour on that sacrifice. He is saying, I have come to a point. I have given everything that I have for the cause of the gospel. And now even I am I'm ready to pour out myself as a drink offering. The final, the ultimate thing. And there is nothing more I can give. But I will gladly give it for the cause of the gospel. And that's exactly what he did. He paid for the gospel with his very life. For him to live as Christ and to die as gain. In a way what he's telling is that in death... His death would be the ultimate witness to the fact that it is worth living and dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 22 to 24, we have seen that it is, uh, there is a lot of ambiguity what he means to, you know, should I stay on or should I go? And Paul is saying it's better for me to be with Christ, you know, in you know, to have that intimate relationship with him, to enjoy him. And on the other hand, he's saying, it's better for you that I stay here. And I was making this statement to someone yesterday, and I've been making this a lot of statements these days. <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm going crazy, but that's okay, okay? Because, you know, we have an undue fascination, especially among brethren and, you know, Pentecostals. The end time, great because the Bible says encourage one another with these things, right? And uh, we are all so concerned. When Jesus is coming, now the European Union is having some problems. Uh, is it going to be reduced to the 10 countries that it should be? And instead of the 28 or 27 it is? You know, and all of those things. The calculations are all going bizarre some, some, some way. And uh, it's all maybe coming together. It is how you read into it. The, you know, most of, the peop- most of the time we are reading the Bible into the situation. Rather than letting the Bible read. You know, let the Bible speak what it has to speak. So that is the tragedy of our times. And we are so eager for the Lord to come. I am guilty of it. My way of doing it is, hope God will take me away today. You know, that is my prayer. God, just just take me. I don't want to live in this world. You know, one of the things, and I say this with no prejudice to anyone. Okay? I am not 
you know, I'm, it's not out of malice or prejudice or any of those things. And it is not to say that this is wrong. But there is an undue obsession with the end days and the prophecies and the prophecies. And everybody is concerned, when is Jesus coming? They're all ready to go. But let me ask you a very simple question. If your parents, if your son or your daughter is not a believer, do you want Jesus to come today? I don't want my God to come till my best friend becomes a Christian. This obsession may be, you know, our hearts are desperately wicked. Let me tell you this. It's all very nice to believe the fact and it is going to happen. Jesus is going to come one of these days, my friends. He is going to come and we are going to be with him. But I would rather pray, God, please, please, will you tarry for another day so that my friend will have a chance to, you know, to become a believer. To know your grace. It is not to say we shouldn't say Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come soon. It is not that we shouldn't. But do our hearts break for the people who are lost and we are so obsessed with this whole thing about prophecy. It is not even Jesus, you know, it is not even that Jesus is coming today because our lifestyles will be very different. Our lifestyles would be very different if we truly believe Jesus is coming today. But we are just making those statements simply because it's the easy way out. It is the easy way out. For me, it is the easiest way to die today because I know where I am going by God's grace. But it is a very self-centered, selfish motive behind it. I just want to get away from this pain. I don't care about the others. If we truly cared about a dying world which is going to die, which is going to go into eternal damnation because they do not know Jesus Christ, what would our response be? You know, that is why Paul is such a great, great example who always tugs at my heart. You know, Paul who says he's given up everything for the sake of the gospel. Everything, even his own life. He says, it is far better for me to be with the God who loves me so much. But it is better for you. And, I, and he is confident of this one thing. That if I stay here, it is going to benefit you. That is his confidence. If I am here, it is of benefit to you. Can we say that with confidence? That if my existence here is going to be a benefit and not a pain. And not a stumbling block. That is the flip side of it, right? My life should be such that I will have the confidence that Paul has by the grace of God to say that my existence on this planet Earth is to your benefit. That is what he is saying. And he is saying, 
you know, because of that, I will delay my, my ultimate pleasure of being with the one who gave his life for me. Paul is the one who went up to the third heaven. He knew something of what it means to face that awesome, amazing, to be enthralled and enraptured by this love of God. We need to learn to question our hearts more often. Believe me, we need to. You know, it is in the pious and uh, spiritually flavored environment where the deception of our heart is so concealed that we don't even realize that it is our self which is seeking after these things and not really the spirit of God. It is, you know, our heart, if I have learned one thing over the years is over and over and over again, I tell myself, my greatest enemy is not Satan. It is not the world. It's myself. It's here, deep down. It's me. It's me. And it's me all the time. Whenever I introspect, whenever I look into my life by the grace of God, by the enablement of the Spirit, I find deep down, however holy and sanctified my thoughts may look, at the end of the day, it is, has something to do with me. It's dangerous. You know, we so easily blame everything else and forget that evil. You know, all what we see around, as I was telling my daughter, you know, we need to understand one thing. What we see around the world is a reflection of our hearts. Is a reflection of our heart. The violence you see around is the violence which is hidden in our heart. The evil that you see around is the evil in our hearts. The wickedness that you see around is the wickedness that is in our heart. If we are in any way better than the other, it is only by the grace of God. If only our evil and wicked hearts are contained and restrained, it is by the grace of God. You and I are as capable as anyone else in this world to fall to the pits and bottom that we look down upon and say, how can that person do it? I think the question should be, God, I'm so grateful to you and your spirit that I didn't do that. Because I am as capable of doing it as the person who has done it. And that is where grace comes. That is where grace comes. But I want to end on a positive note. It's a, it's a nice, nice thumb rule. When you are in a bind, making between two choices, like Paul is in a bind in a way, it's better for me to be with the Lord and, you know, enjoy Him. And, but it is for your benefit that I stay behind. He's in a bind, right? So he is going to take his own medicine in a way. Because that is what, if you read the first few verses of chapter 1, what does it say? Consider the other, right? So when you are in a bind like that, it is always the safest default is to choose the other. To choose the other. When you are in effects, whom should I choose? Should I choose 
to be with the lord and enjoy him and all of those wonderful see these are these are choices between two good things it is not the choice between two bad things i want you to know that being with the lord and being with you for your benefit these are two good things wonderful things but when you are in a bind like that what you should do the best default for that is just to fall on the side for the other because in so doing you fulfill the law of love what is that loving god and loving your neighbor as yourself i want to bring you a word of comfort you and i however however fallen or however you know on the spiritual high you are you are a blessing to the other you are a blessing because god is resident in your life and you are a medium and you are a vessel that brings blessing to others always remember that let me close with an illustration actually with a real life story <clears throat> this uh, the great american hero he was an editor he was a school teacher and he was a reformed guy like me <laughs> he was a presbyterian clergyman <clears throat> elijah lovejoy <clears throat> left the pulpit and returned to the press in order to be sure his word reached more people so he was a pastor and then he went back to printing newspapers because he wanted whatever he had to say and his thoughts on various social issues he wanted it to go out to a wider audience <laughs> the civil war might have been averted and a peaceful emancipation of slaves achieved had they been more like him after observing one lynching you know what is lynching lynching is slaves who run away slaves or someone you know and they tie them and hang them or whatever it is it's brutality beyond you know my comprehension at this point and many of them claim to be christians that's the worst part how could they do that i have no idea but lovejoy was committed forever to fighting uncompromisingly the awful sin of slavery mob action was brought against him time after time neither this nor many threats and attempts on his life deterred him repeated destruction of his presses did not stop him if by compromise this is what elijah lovejoy said if by compromise is meant that i should cease from my duty i cannot make it i fear god more than i fear man crush me if you will but i will die at my post and he did after writing that four days later at the hands of another mob no one of the ruffians not one of them was prosecuted or indicted in any way for his murder he was murdered by a mob and not a single one of them was prosecuted or convicted of the crime not a single one in fact what happened was so interesting some of lovejoy's defenders who defended lovejoy they were prosecuted look at the injustice those who killed him not a one not one single one of them ever got convicted but the people who tried to defend him on the other hand they were prosecuted actually one of the people who were involved in his murder later became the mayor of alton a l t o n 
That is the extent of the injustice. It's not fair, right? But you know something? There was something beautiful that happened in that event. However, note this. One young man around, you know, who was deeply moved by Lovejoy's martyrdom. He had just been elected to the Illinois legislature and guess what his name, who, what his name was? Abraham Lincoln. You know, in the midst of all this injustice, in the midst of, which, is, which may seem, means you know, to the human eye as a wasted life. You know, even his murderers go scot-free and they get promotions in life. And the people who were trying to defend him, you know, are prosecuted. But in the midst of that, there is a light which breaks forth. There is that young man whose life is changed forever. He's just been elected to the Illinois State Legislature. His name is Abraham Lincoln, who signs the Declaration of Emancipation, right? He was a Christian. His education was the Bible. You know, whatever your situation in life, remember, my friends, you are a blessing. Don't ever think your life is wasted. But at the same time, it's also a challenge for us to reevaluate our situations and our lives and ask, what is, what is it that we are living and dying for? Is it for our jobs and for our education, for the dreams that we have which will end with our lives? Or is it something more? There is something which can, which can outlive us, which is bigger than us. That is the cause of Christ. And it is to that I, that I invite you.